what's this week's sports zone on at Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson. We're here talking all things sport in Salford. Join the show this week. As ever, we have Paul Whiteside from The Dev on the Detail. How's your week been, mate? Yeah, very good, Rob. Thank you. Very good. Looking forward to uh, to talking all things uh, sport in Salford, mate. It was nice to uh, get to another game at the weekend, but not the result we wanted in the Rugby League. Yeah, what we'll do, uh, Paul, we'll start Rugby League and we'll talk Salford Red Devils. They went down to defeat um, against Hull FC, 35 points to four. Uh, talk us through it. Um, well, it took me all day to talk through it, to be honest, uh, from a Hull perspective. Um, it was nil-nil, up to 20 minutes, both sides quite solid in defence. Hull looked... To, to me, looked a bigger side than us. They, had, they seemed to have a bit more power in the, in the forwards and the half-backs did seem to gel a bit more. They created a few more chances. We didn't really create much in the in the first sort of quarter of the game. Uh, Hull got a try from um, Andre Savelio. Some of our older listeners might remember his dad, Lucchino Savelio, playing for Salford in the 90s. He, he went over from a nice short ball from Jake Connor. And to be honest, it was the Jake Connor show, really, for much um, parts of the game. He, he was head and shoulders, probably the best player on the pitch, playing at full-back and... He had that, that free role to, to set things up and work alongside Mark Sneed and Josh Reynolds in the halfbacks as well. Um, Hull were just head and shoulders above Salford, really. Reynolds scored a try off a neat kick just before half-time. And to add to that, a penalty goal and uh, the sim binning of Ryan Lannan for a bit of a, a daft challenge on uh, on Mark Sneed. Hull were, were 14 points in the look at half-time, so it was, a, it was a poor first half from Salford. The second half, Hull came out, scored two tries in the first 10 minutes. Reynolds again got on the score sheet. Josh Griffin scored off, off a nice kick through from Adam Swift as well. And it was really a mountain to climb then for Salford. Ken Seal did get a try 20 minutes from the end. Um, nice nice try from Seal. Good work down the right edge. But Hull finished it off with, with, with tries from uh, Cameron Scott and uh, a couple of penalty goals and a drop goal from Jake Connor. So 35 points to four. Beaten in every department, really, really Rob. And out enthusiasm, I thought, in that second half. We... Uh, we, uh, it, was a, it was a good side, but you would have expected us to serve something better up than that, um, especially with that second half. It was a poor display. Yeah, disappointing result for Salford. And, you know, I think personally, Paul, it was indiscipline. It was errors that, that caused Salford. The same as last week. Um, you know, how how's Richard Marshall fixed that issue up? To be honest with you, we've got a witness in the cup on Saturday. And if I was Richard Marshall, I'd bring some fresh blood in. I think you've got a lad chomping at the bit there in Sam Luckley. Uh, an aggressive forward we signed for him from Newcastle Thunder. I'd give Sam a go if he's fit. I'd, I'd put him in against Witness. I'd probably bring Matty Costello in as well. Just freshen things up a bit. Um, you can't take Witness too lightly, but they're a championship side and we, we should be capable of beating them at home. Um, so I, I, I definitely change things round a bit. Um, I'm not sure whether he'll bring Chris Nanu back in. I think you need a goal kicker. I don't think Tuilola here is a, a goal kicker. Um, so I, I think, I don't know, it'd be a tough one really because. I thought Reese Williams came in and looked pretty solid. He had a decent game. Uh, there wasn't many decent games in there. The the, the real sort of head scratcher was, was losing Dan Sardis and he looked uh, like he was carrying a bit of an injury. Every time he, he got tackled, he was he was wincing in the tackle. So I don't know if he's picked up a bit of a knock because that would be a blow. But we've got to put him back in the centre. He's not a full-back. I think Morgan Esgrave, his fit, has got to come back in at full-back. And the other worry was uh, Elijah Taylor. Head and shoulders, the best solver player again. The second week running, I thought, and uh, he looked like he banged his shoulder. And it was a funny one. Richard Marshall brought him off, and then he brought him back on again, and it looked like he banged it again. So hopefully he's not done too much damage, and, and he'll be fit. But if so, it, it could be one of those games where we could rest Taylor against against Widnes. But we don't want to rest too many players and, and take them lightly because it's a potential uh, banana skin. But I think Richard Marshall can freshen things up this week, regroup with the cup as well. It's not the the day to day runnings of the Super League, because it's a bit of a, a break. And uh, you know, if we get through this game against Widnes, we're in the quarterfinals. So 
oh, it's not lost yet. You've lost two games against two decent sides. And uh, all right, it was a poor performance against Hull, but there's plenty of time to to get back on the horse and, and sort things out. And don't forget, we've got players injured that come back in as well. I think Greg Burke might be nearing fitness soon. Joel Burgess is going to be a, a, a real top signing once we get him fitting on the pitch. So I think there's uh, plenty to be positive about. Yeah, Elijah Taylor, uh, Dan Sargent, like you said, suffering with injuries. Uh, opportunity, though, for other players in that squad to take uh, that shirt, because obviously we want competition. Competition brings excitement, it brings positivity, and it looks going to bring the uh, the team forward. Well, yeah, I think so. It's like I saw a few eyebrows raised today when Kristen, and he wasn't named, uh, he was fit yesterday, he was, he was warming up on the pitch before the game, but obviously dropped um, from his performance the week before and, and I saw people saying, oh, it's, it's a bit harsh to drop him. But no, at the end of the day, we talk about a competition for places and, and squad and everyone's got to perform week in, week out. You can't sort of have special dispensation for Chris Inu because people like him and he's a good goalkeeper and this, that and the other. If he's not played well, it's, it's up to him to fight his way back into the team. So I think that's a, a good thing. So whether we'll see him next week, I'm not too sure. But regarding the, the, the forwards and what have you, if, if Elijah Taylor is injured, it'd be a big miss. But, uh, but yeah, you've got other people to, to step up to the plate. I think, you know, Ryan Lannan needs to look at himself after yesterday. I mean, silly challenge there um, on Mark's need. That's a bit, something he needs to cut out of his game, really. You've got to be a bit smart. You've got to play the game smart and be clever. You look at Taylor, he's a really clever player. You've got to take a leaf out of his book and, and start performing because he's a guy that's coming to the, sort of the peak years of his career now. So, uh, so I'm hoping he'll, he'll, he'll make some improvements in the next couple of weeks. But, but yeah, the competition for places in the squad is good. We've not got the biggest squad in the world and the, and the worrying thing is now if you get a couple of injuries. So we'll have to keep tabs and see how Dan Sargeson and Elijah Taylor are doing uh, you know, in the week as we build up to witness. Yeah, Richard Marshall talks about the smarts um, and, and how we've, we've suffered from um, not being able to be as smart in game situations. I, I spoke to him um, after the game in the press conference and this is what we had to say. All right, Rick, it's Rob. Hi, Rob. Defeat today against Hull. Um, talk us through it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough one to take. S- similar to last week, we came up against a you know a, a decent team with, with lots of energy, and, we, um, and, and at times we we matched that energy more than matched it. Um, but but we we unravelled when our discipline unravelled, um, and that's something for everybody to look at at the, at the club and myself included. Obviously, the messages about being on side, uh, getting your hands out of the rook and. Uh, we're not going to bash at the referees and we had a man sim- simbin today so we, we have to look at the, the discipline in and around the rook and, and, our, and our general um, rugby smarts. Is that is that the important thing, trying to be smarter as we go on? Yeah, because when we are, and we do, we had, you know, we had a, we only had a handful of opportunities today in good ball, uh, and one of which we just strolled over the line. Uh, we just didn't have enough of them opportunities. I thought we handled the 12 men pretty well but we defended pretty well at that. But again, it's that we just had a, a try before half time again, which we had last week. Which I think, if if obviously we'd like to be winning going into half time, but at the same time, I think we need to be able to to close out a half in, in, in a better fashion than we did. Does that give you mixed feelings of the defence? Obviously, the Ryan Lannan period defended well, but then conceding the three tries in ten minutes either side of half time. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. We've got to be a lot better there. Um, we're a new team. We, we, you know, we're learning quite a lot about each other as coaches and, and as staff and as players. Um, you know, and the formula is not quite there at the moment. Uh, well, it is in parts. Uh, you know, we can go toe to toe with any team in the competition, as we saw last week and this week. Uh, but consistently doing it for eighty minutes, we've we've not got that to that level quite yet. 
Yeah, you talked about being starred, possession and position. Obviously, the second week on the spin, this has happened. Is it a problem or is it a side effect for playing two great sides? Yeah, probably a little bit of that. We, we, there's two teams there that are uh, that are obviously playing well. Um but forget about who you're playing against. That's our responsibility is to keep keep all the ball. Our responsibility is to make sure we can play it and we play it on our terms. And our responsibility is to be on side with the referee. Was that last 25 minutes a good exercise to see where the players are attitude-wise in tough situations? Yeah, because it didn't go away from us. I know there was a couple of scores there within that, but I thought we defended our line pretty pretty well. They got a lot of repeat sets towards that last 20 minutes. Hull kept putting the pressure on. They obviously went for a drop goal because they had field position. Um, so, yeah, there was, again, we can do it. We just need to be able to do it for longer, longer periods. Yeah, injuries to Elijah Taylor and Dan Sideson today. Is that an opportunity for other people in the squad to step up and step in? It will be, yeah. If, if they're not fit, that those guys, uh, that'll be something that we'll look at this week. Uh, we, we we need a response from that performance, and 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 I'm looking forward to the to the week this week and, and making sure the boys are ready for for witnessing the Challenge Cup. Yeah, witnessing the cup next week after our success of last season is an opportunity to go one better this year. Well, let's let's just focus on the next game, which is witness. Get that one done, hopefully. Um, we need to play a lot better. We do need to play better. Uh, forget about the opposition for ourselves and and what we're trying to achieve here. Cheers, Rick. Good luck. All right, thanks. So that was Richard Marshall talking to himself after the game, Paul, and disappointed about the result. Um, but he's looking to to bounce back next week. Yeah, certainly, certainly. I mean, like I said, it's early days, and it's it's, it's a confidence blow for Richard Marshall. And in, in a way, I feel sorry for him because. You know, he's a new coach, he's come to the club and he's played two games behind closed doors. I mean, really, a new coach comes in and you have the all the euphoria of, of meeting the supporters and playing in front of you, your home crowd and being announced onto the pitch to the supporters and everybody cheering you and that. And he's missed that so far. And, uh, you know, it's it's rubbish playing games behind closed doors, teams coming out to, to empty stadiums. So uh, he's got all that to look forward to. So, so yeah, I just hope Richard keeps his, his chin up and I'm sure he'll turn things around at Salford. He's, he's a good bloke. Obviously, people talking about the attack, worried that we're not clicking. Um, would you agree with that? Yep, 100%. Um, I think this might be a big call, this, but we've got Tui Lola here there who, at the moment, he's playing a real off-the-cuff style. And for me, nobody seems to know what he's doing half the time. And there's no doubt at all that he's, um, he's a good player. But people don't seem to be reading him, so I'm not so sure what's going on there. I mean... I think it's the forwards as well. You've got to get on top. When when you see Tuilola here playing for Tonga, he's playing behind a massive aggressive packet. We're going forward and at the moment. Our forwards aren't dominating, so you need that. You need the position um, in the in the whole game. A lot of Lola here's kicks were coming from deep in his own half because our forwards weren't getting us out of our own half. So you, you're struggling there to to get the momentum. And on the last tackle, the ball's going to Tui. You've sort of thirty yards, forty yards from your own goal. There's not much you can do with it other than a hit and hold kick. So. It's difficult, but no, I don't think the, the halfbacks are gelling. Um, I don't know whether he changes it round. You've got Chris Atkin there, who's not who's not played this season. He could come in. You've got Deck Patton as well, who can play in the halves. He played at hooker yesterday. So there's a, there's lots of different combinations and conundrums there that you can use. But it's difficult. You can't sort of experiment in this season, can you really? Because you're experimenting in, in, in Super League games. So um, he needs to sort of find his, his the right formula, and he needs to find it fast, really. 
Yeah, I think the problem was, Paul, is the suffering from the inability to get up the field. Territory is everything in rugby league, especially in the modern day with a six-again rule and things like that. And Salford aren't able to get that 20, 30, 40 yards further up the field they need to. And they're struggling when it comes to, you know, kicking in, in them positions. And teams know that. And I'm, I'm beginning to think they might plot a plan against that for, for Salford. You're hoping that Richard Marshall can find a way of breaking that cycle and, and making Salford go up the field a bit more. Yeah, and I think it, another thing is, is low, low on confidence now. The confidence looks a bit low, and that, I think that's why it's, it's good that we've got a break from from the Super League. And again, I'm not being disrespectful to Witness, but they're not a Super League side, and we should be more than capable of, of winning that game in the cup. And that could give us a bit of a confidence boost then going into the next the next Super League game. The next Super League game is Catalan Dragons, so that's not going to be easy either. They've started the season really well, winning two matches, so. The games are coming thick and fast. I think we play Lee after that. Then we've got Wigan, Warrington and, and St. Helens. So we've got quite a daunting run of fixtures coming up. So uh, but you can only take one game at a time. And, and yeah, Richard Marshall has got to has got to get things right now. And uh, But you're right about the forwards. I just said that before. I, I thought we were, we were beaten in the forwards yesterday. The pack looked beaten and there was no aggression in there for me. Um, we didn't really worry Hull. I think they always had us at arm's length when they, when they got in front, really. But penalties again. We give away some silly penalties. Go back to the Ryan Lannan incident. It's petulant, stupid. A few people said, oh, shouldn't have been simbing for that. Why do it? Why challenge a kicker when the ball's gone like that? It's just, it's just silly play. You know, giving penalties away like that. On the podcast, always coach killers. Be smarter. You've got to play smart and you can't afford to do that against decent teams because they'll punish you. Yeah, that's that's the thing about about Solvid. It's all about you know getting over these last couple of uh, couple of games, Paul, and moving forward. Like you said, we got witness in the cup next week. Opportunity in the cup. Obviously, last season our heroics in the cup got us to the final. We were drop goal away uh, from 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 winning it. Um, do, do you think we're looking for similar success this time round? You're always looking for success in the cup. You know, we beat witness again. It won't be easy. They they're coming into the game. Confident, you know they, they've they've had some good results in the in the cup so far and in in, the, in their division. So, you know, winning's a habit. So they'll they'll be coming to Salford looking to cause an upset. They've got Matty Smith there, Adam Law, and a couple of ex Salford players in the side. Uh, I think Steve Tyra plays there as well. He, he played for us as well. Um, so they've got ex Salford players who be wanting to come and prove a point. We should have enough to beat them. You get through that, and you're in the quarterfinals. You're in the last eight. So uh, anything can happen. You know, you could draw another championship side or. Or ever in the, in the quarterfinals, then all of a sudden you're in the semi-final. So, yeah, I think the the, the cup is definitely something you, you're going to have to look forward to this season. I mean, everybody looks forward to the cup, and I'm not so sure whether there'll be crowds at Wembley this time. Hopefully, so. So it'd be great to get back there. But, but yeah, focus on witness this week and get a positive result. I think that would do the club, the players, and, and Richard Marshall the world of good. Yeah, off the field, Salford have been busy. They've appointed community ambassadors for their local uh, amateur sides with Folly Lane, Langwith Reds, West Lawton Lions, Berry Broncos, Cadded Rhinos and Salford City Roosters all involved with the players uh, coming down to their clubs and teaching the young players. I think it's a fantastic opportunity for both Salford and the amateur teams to come together uh, and build rugby league in the area. Yeah, well, we spoke about this on the podcast, didn't we? And, and yeah, you're dead right. There's, there's plenty of... Um amateur sides in, in the local area. I mean, you, you're talking about Barry Broncos there. It's probably not not like dead close to Salford, but we have a, a really good relationship with those with those clubs, don't we? And, uh, you, you know, we see their players and their staff and, and people with the shirts on coming to the game and supporting them. So I think it's vitally important that we support them in the community as well and send players to the training sessions and, uh, you know, get them involved and get them sort of loving Salford, really, and getting them coming to the games. I think, you know, it's vitally important you work with amateur clubs and, and the, and the and the young players and get those young players onto our system and that so uh, the, the bridges we can build there is, is vital for us going forward. 
Yeah, let's move on to Swinton Lions. They played Oldham this week uh, and we defeated 28 points to 20. Uh, tries from Mick, Mike Butt, Rodri Lloyd, Luke Waterworth and Jack Henson. Was it enough for Swinton? They had Tom Spencer sent off uh, their least recent loan signing from Lee uh, for punching a tackle. So disappointing start uh, really for Stuart Littler's men. It was, and the two sides had faced each other in a, in a really good cup tie the week before, which Swinton got the better of. And you know, I fancied Swinton to win that game um, against Oldham, but uh, no, a good result, good performance from Oldham, and um, you know, it's a tight game again, wasn't it? What five tries to four? So I don't think they'd be too downhearted by that Swinton, but I think they're expecting to win that game after the, the success in the Challenge Cup. You know, they had a couple of good wins there against uh, it was Newcastle and, and Oldham, wasn't it? So uh, so they'd done uh, they'd done really well. So so yeah, they, they were looking to bounce back in the next game. Yeah, they've got uh, one in some wolves in the Challenge Cup. Obviously, it's more of a high-profile situation for Swinton because obviously Warrington are a very good team. I suppose we're hoping they'll play a weekend side, but you never know in the cup anything can happen. Yeah, I think it'd be a difficult game for for Swinton against Warrington, and you know, well, obviously Warrington are going to start favourites, aren't they? But you can never say never in the cup. I mean, if you go back a few years ago, Swinton went to. Uh, to Huddersfield, didn't they, and beat Super League opposition, Huddersfield Giants on their own ground. So, uh, so you, you, you've got to be careful. You know what you what you wish for in the cup. You can't take anybody for granted. But I'm sure Warrington, uh, you know, a professional outfit that they are, they're they're not going to be too relaxed about it. But it'd be great for Swinton to, to test themselves. And uh, you've got Matty Ashton there as well, the the ex Swinton fullback who's 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 gone to Warrington now. He'll be looking forward to playing in that game if he can. And uh, you know, Warrington have made a, a decent, had a decent result in the Super League this weekend against Leeds, and they got a result. So, uh, so yeah, I'm expecting it to be a good cup tie. There's some great challenge cup ties. Wigan against York's another one that uh, really stands out for me. You know, York in the new stadium there. They'll just be, be really good if they can't get a, a crowd in there to, for that because that would be a tremendous atmosphere there. So but there's some really good cup ties. St. Helens and Leeds is another one that whets the appetite. And obviously we've got uh, Widness and uh, I think Featherston against Hull is another one that could have a bit of a potential banana skin feel about it yeah it's going to be entertaining stuff uh, Challenge Cup always a great competition for every every fan of every club Paul yeah it certainly is certainly the, the draw always excites me I, I've got to get it back on the television I think the last draw was over the internet and I, I struggled to get it on my phone so if you get the draw on the radio or the uh, or the television it's always exciting the draw's made and uh, you're waiting for your team to come out so hopefully we can get past witness and be great if Swinton could upset the apple cart against, uh, against Warrington so good luck to both the teams yeah that's all your rugby league chat now we'll do uh, ice hockey Manchester Storm Paul Yes, Rob. Yes, uh, it's uh, all all systems go at the moment, is it? In Manchester Storm, uh, a good start to the season so far. Is it a worry they went two 0 up and were dragged back to a two uh, two before securing their win? Yeah, it was, it was a great result for Manchester Storm, um, beating Coventry three um, two in extra time. Yeah, they did go two 0 up in that in that first uh, sort of couple of periods. And you know, with ice hockey, Paul, it, it can be hundred percent a hundred mile an hour every game, and, and you've got to think about it. Can, can Storm keep that up all the time? You're kind of hoping that they can. Uh, they've got the players to do so. Uh, and, and you're looking forward to, to more things to come. Um, Ryan Finnerty and, he, and his players, he's brought a f- lot of good players in in, the, in this team. And he's going to ask questions in this in this uh, Elite League competition. Um, we're really hoping that, that the Manchester Storm can ask questions and become a real competitor in, in this, uh, in this uh, Elite League. Uh, and we're all looking forward to seeing what's, what happens. A good result for Storm against Sheffield this weekend. Yeah, Derby clash. Paul, always exciting. Great result uh, for Ryan Finney, his men, and it surely will uh, boost the confidence with all the games uh, to come.
There's lots of fixtures to come first time in the next week. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, uh, they've got Nottingham um, and they've got Coventry again and they've got Sheffield again. The three teams in the elite competition, like buses, Paul, this, this uh, ice hockey league, you know, you wait ages for no for, for a game and then three come at once and, and that's the excitement. You can you can tune in online and watch the Storm play, um, pay a small fee to, to the club to, for that for that benefit and it's great that the fans now have that opportunity to to watch the, the, the heroes play because obviously you've you miss sport, don't you? With with a pandemic, you know it all ground to a halt, and you know now we're kind of getting back to that little bit of normality. And um, so you're excited about what's to come, and obviously with the with the result uh, against Coventry, you know boosting the confidence uh, for the Storm. Uh, it's only good things to come. Yeah. So let's talk boxing now with uh, Jane Sweetman and Paul Whiteside. Well, it was an absolutely massive weekend of boxing, Paul. And one of the greatest fighters our shows have ever produced, Carl Frampton the Jackal, bid farewell to his sport after a noble effort to become a freeweight world champion against Jamal Herring, who was excellent on the night himself. But it just wasn't meant to be for the Northern Irishman. But before we break down what a great performance it was by the American, what a fighter Carl Frampton has been. He's treated us tonight with... Josh Warrington, Nanito Donaire, Kiko Martinez, Scott Quigg, Leo Santa Cruz. He's been in with them all, hasn't he? What a fighter he has been. He has, yeah. He's been, been tremendous. I mean, the, the Scott Quigg fight, it seems a, a, an age ago, that now, about five years ago. That, that's one of the, the best fights I've seen him in, in that. I thought that was tremendous. Obviously, the, the two against Leo Santa Cruz as well. And I think he, he's been a fighter, um, Carl Frampton, that's been at the top of his game now for a for a long time, hasn't he? You know, we, we talk about him being up there. I think, you know, five or six, seven years, he's been at world level now fighting everybody and never ducking anybody and and, and just taking on the, these mega fights. So um, I, I think the, the, the Herring fight was it was a big decision to take that. Um, and, and, you know, he never backed down from it, did he? And big performance from both fighters, really, but just just not enough on the night, really. And, you know, perhaps the, perhaps the way... You know, the weight difference, I, I don't know whether it was the right thing to do for him, but he gave it his all, didn't he? It was a real good performance, but just, just not enough in the tank on the night, sadly. Do you think it was the right decision to call time on a great career? And for me personally as well, I want to give some credit to Jamie Moore because I felt his decision to throw in the towel was perfect and saved his man from a nasty ending. Yeah, I think so. It was only one one way that fight was going, really, wasn't there, when it got to that, that sort of fifth and sixth round and you could see him wearing down there a bit and, you know... Your, your trainer's got a job to do, hasn't he, to look after his, his fighter. And I think Jamie Moore's proven that he's a, a terrific trainer and a terrific guy to have in your corner. And he knows uh, Carl inside out, doesn't he? And you could see him sort of just, not I wouldn't say unravelling, but just, just beginning to show signs there in that fight. And, and, and he knew it was the right time to throw the, the towel in. And the correct decision for me, really. And, uh, and yeah, and I think... You know, just looking at Carl Frampton's career now, there's probably nowhere else for him to go in his career. It's it's a bit like, I mean, I compare him to maybe like a, a Ricky Burns sort of type guy. He's the same now. They're probably a similar age. And where did they go? I mean, I don't think Ricky's retired yet, but he probably is the best thing to do because there's nowhere else for you to go in the sport. And, and what are you proving by by going on? You know, get out while you can, get out while you, you're healthy. And, you know, go and look after you. You've got a young family, go and look after your family. You don't want to end up, you know, being injured and, and, and suffering just for going on too long, really. So I think he's made the right decision and, and been a fantastic, fantastic fighter. It's difficult for it to say exactly where it wrong for Carl. Do you think it was the fact that he was just so much smaller in stature and he was, you know, that little bit later on in his career? 
I mean, in the fifth and sixth round, I mean, there was times where it looked like Carl Frampton could be getting into it. He was having a great fifth before he was knocked down. And then in the sixth, he was having another good round before he was caught by a magnificent uppercut. Do you think Frampton was ever going to get into this fight if things had been a little bit different? Or do you think Herring was always going to be a little bit too good for him? I think he was a bit too good, Herring, to be honest with you. I mean, that's how it, right. He's no sort of young stager, is he? Either. He's in his, well in his 30s now as well, isn't he? And he's had some tough fights and, and had a big career as well. So uh, not quite as many uh, tough nights, I don't think, as Carl Frampton. But he just looked the, the fresher the man to me out of the two of them. He looked like he had a bit more power. He looked more comfortable at the weight. He looked a lot bigger than Carl Frampton as well, his frame. Um, so, yeah, I don't think Carl was going to win that fight for me. You know, after the first couple of rounds, I didn't think so. But he's a, he's an incredible athlete, is Carl Frampton. He's, he's he's one of those. He's like a like a dog, isn't he? The way he keeps coming at you and coming at you, and and, and he's he's fearless. He's an absolutely fearless fighter, and he's one of them. He would he would have carried on if Jamie Moore had thrown that towel, and he'd have carried on in that fight because there's no way he would stop. You know, he's that sort of bloke that'll just carry on until you have to carry him out there on a stretcher. So, uh, so yeah. But I I I think it was the right decision, as we say, and. Uh, you know, I wish him all the best in his retirement now and in the next road of his, uh, you know, what he decides to do with his life. Yeah, the Jackal, most certainly one of the greatest ever fighters these shows have ever produced. But let's move over to the victor, Jamal Herring. Maybe a somewhat underappreciated champion, doesn't receive too much media attention, but of course he's got the WBO Super Featherweight World title. He's also got a great story. I mean, the man is an ex-Marine and he was in Iraq at 17 years of age. Do you think off the back of his career best win against Carl Frampton, he's somebody that people can get behind, some to market? Because surely that Marine story is going to capture people's imaginations. Yeah, it certainly is time the American public got behind him. What, and he's in the age of like 34, 35 now, what he is. He's probably not got like years ahead of him in his career. So I think he deserves it. And like you said, his, his story about being in the Marines and, and going to Iraq and serving for his country, you know, that, that's a great story and, you know, a great sporting story as well. And he's moved into the sport and made a real good career as a boxer. And, you know, he didn't just beat a, a washed-up Carl Frampton there. He's, he's beaten a real solid, you know, world champion who's, who's won it a couple of different weights as well and beat all the, all the best fighters in the world. So uh, so a good result for him. And that's not to be sneezed at whatsoever. He, he can move on from that now and uh, hopefully get some, some big fights himself. Yeah, and there are some big fights out, as you mentioned. I mean, the IBF title's vacant, but he's got a good mandatory in Shakur Stevenson. Then Javonta Davis has the WBA title. Oscar Vardis has the WBC. Out of those three names, is there any one of those in particular you think would be a good matchup for Herring? Yeah, I think the Javonta Davis fight looks looks a good one. I think that, that really does. I think that's the one the public might want to see. That I think you've got two fighters there now who really gel. The styles who gel, and I think it'd make for a real ferocious fight. You know, that's what you want to see. You want to see the, the two fighters going toe to toe and you know swinging, swinging the lever, and that's what the, the, the public want to see. So I think that'd be a great fight there. And, but there's other fights out there for him as well, and I'm not so sure who else really, but. No, I'd like to see that one made. And, you know, hopefully by the end of the year, we're only in sort of April. So, you know, that could be his, his, his next one now. And now we're going to move you over to Australia, Paul, for a future superstar, Tim Zoo. We've talked about him so many times on this show, following in his dad's footsteps. And he put on another great performance as he defeated Dennis Hogan via knockout inside the fifth round. And Hogan, of course, pushed Jamie Mungia extremely close a couple of years back for the WBO world title. And it's really now looking like within the next couple of fights, Tim Zoo could be fighting for a world title. Well, yeah, he certainly could. He's got all the skills there, hasn't he? The speed and the power and what an exciting fighter he really is. 
Um, and I think he's he's going to start coming on the big stage now. Surely the big promoters are going to have him on big shows because uh, he looks very, very entertaining. The, the sort of guy you want to watch. I've seen a lot of him on YouTube and, you know, really is following in his father's footsteps and maybe could even eclipse his, his father's career. So, uh, so, yeah, watch this space for him because I think you're going to see him in some super fights coming up. It's looking like his next opponent could be Michael Zarafa. British fans may know him for his close effort against Kell Brook. He's also had a couple of fights with Jeff Horn, which were split one apiece. It's a good fight, I suppose, for Tim Z, but would you more like to see him win with a couple of names closer to world level at this stage? Um, he's still a relatively young man, isn't he? And, you know, I think you've got to uh, you've got to take things things slowly and that, but I've been mega impressed with him. You know, his, his victory over Jeff Horn. And this this one now over Dennis Hogan, he's he's knocking people out, and that's what people like to see. And you know, let, let's let's propel him up there if um, if the, the fights are there for him. Why hold hold the guy back? So uh, so yeah, he, he's a terrific fighter, real terrific fighter, and um, you know the world is going to be his oyster now. It really is. And like I said, let's just get him on some of these big bills, some of these big Sky Sports bills and things like that. I mean, I know he's Australian and it's not always easy to, to, to do that, but uh, I think the, the, the world needs to see him. He's a real, real class fighter. One million percent. A great prospect and one who will be covering a lot, I assume, within the next few years. But somebody else who we've covered immensely over the past few years is Conor Ben, and he'll be taking on Samuel Vargas in another step-up fight. The toughest test of Conor Ben's career so far? Yeah, possibly, possibly. Uh, um, it is a, it's a st- it's a step up, a step level up for him, as I should say. And uh, I've been pre- impressed with Conor Ben. What, what I've seen of him so far, he's he's another one ferocious, and he's if you can sort of pick people to watch on, on fight night on your so you have to put your own car together, uh, like a virtual card. You'd have Conor Ben on every day of the week, wouldn't you? Because just just the way he fights and. Um, you know, he's all action, isn't he? And that, that spitefulness that he fights with as well, he, you know, it just reminds me of his dad, really. So, uh, so yeah, I think this is a big test for him. But it's a test he can pass. He's just got to watch his defence and that. I mean, there are a few times where I've watched him and he does seem to go in gung-ho sometimes and take chances and take risks. That's all right. You know, all well and good, but you've just got to be careful. You're on the back foot sometimes. So, no, I'm expecting him to get through this, but it is a step up for him and uh, one he needs to be wary of. And on the undercard, there's a couple of female world title fights, the first of which is Shannon Courtney fighting for the vacant WBA world title against Australia's Ebony Bridges. And she's somebody that's coming in with a bit of controversy. She's not fought anybody with a winning record as of yet, but she's created a massive social media following through some weigh-ins where she's, you know, walked onto the scales wearing lingerie and things like that. She's a lot more glamorous than the average female fighter. And she's been given this opportunity, some would say, off the back of that. She's been criticised quite heavily, but on the other hand, is she just being like, you know, a male fighter, potentially, you know, just trying to sell the fight and doing what she has to do to make a living? I think so, yeah. Sometimes that, that's what boxing's all about sometimes, isn't it? I mean, people love all that, don't they? love the razzmatazz of it and and, and, and the great stories from the weigh-ins. And, I mean, we, we talk about fights sometimes. Sometimes the press conferences and the weigh-ins are more entertaining than the fights. We've seen some really funny ones, especially when Tyson Fury's involved. But, um, but no, I, I don't begrudge that. We'll have to just see how she does in the ring. Um, you know, Shannon Courtney's going, going on the back of a, a victory. I mean, that fight against Rachel Ball, I think it was last last summer, that, that one behind the, behind closed doors, wasn't it? The uh, the matchroom uh, headquarters. That, I really enjoyed that fight and, and she's got something there. She's come back from that defeat, that points defeat and, and got a good victory. So, uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to this one, see what she can do. 
And Savannah Marshall's also contesting and defending her WBO world title against Fenke Hermes. And for me, Savannah Marshall's got potential to maybe be the best pound-for-pound women's boxer on the planet one day. Do you think this is just going to be another simple win to add to her legacy? Yeah, I would have thought so. I would have thought so. Like we say, you can never take anybody for granted. But I think, you know, as far as levels go, I think this this should be uh, be a regulation uh, regulation night's work, really. And then we'll see her move on from there and uh, propel herself uh, to stardom, hopefully. And then moving over to the States, Irish Joe Smith Jr. is fighting for the WBL light heavyweight championship of the world against Maxim Vlasov. The fight was cancelled a couple of months ago after the Russian got COVID, but now it's finally going ahead. And Joe Smith, a construction worker by day, somebody only boxes part-time, a real feel-good story, an everyman story. And some will remember him for beating Bernard Hopkins and putting him through the ropes. He's had so many big career wins, and would it be nice that he caps this off with a world title fight? He's somebody that people can really get behind. Yeah, I think so. Just just going off his story there, he's a, he's a guy that works really, really hard outside the ring as well and uh, quite a humble guy as well. And I think that would be a, a great story. I mean, the, the, these things don't happen very often in, in sport, do they? But everybody loves that sort of thing and and, uh, and, and should get behind it, really. So I, I hope so. I'd like to see him get that, that world title fight. So uh, let's hope he can get a result. And somebody who we've talked about for many a year on this show, Terence Crawford, and we say over and over again, When's he going to get his big fight? It feels like they're all warm-up fights towards a big one. It's seeming close that we might actually get to see him in the ring with Manny Pacquiao. Apparently, it's going to be in Abu Dhabi. It's very close to being signed. And part of me, Paul, wants to get really excited for this one. Crawford, massive fight against Pacquiao. But another part of me thinks, well, we've been here so many times with Crawford and he's not been able to get it over the line. My question to you is, do you think the Pacquiao fight will happen? Um... No, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not 100% convinced about it because we've seen all this before with Terence Crawford and things have uh, things have fell through, haven't they? So, uh, you know, it's it's a shame really because he's had some tremendous wins. If you go back over his uh, sort of the last sort of 18 months, two years in his, his career, then the knockouts over Kell Brook, I mean, Khan, he's been he's been tremendous really. But he's a guy now with what 33 years of age. He needs these fights, you know. Otherwise, you're going to go through your career and look back and think, well, yeah, I, I could have done a little bit more. So you want those super fights. And like you said before, it's like he's gearing up to it and then he never really gets it. So I don't know whether he needs to sack off his promoter and get somebody else in there <laughs> who, can, uh, who can get him these big fights because he deserves it. You know, he, he's beating everybody he's put in front of him and beating them convincingly. So I, I hope he gets the Manny Pacquiao fight. But how many times have we seen this where the politics gets in the way and, you know, the fight never gets made? I mean... You've only got to look at the moment, the, the Joshua and, um, and and Fury fight. I mean, people keep saying, yeah, it's going to be happening and all that. But until it's actually signed, sealed, and, and we've got a date for it, you know, it, anything can happen, can't it? And talking promoters, Matchroom Boxing are close to signing a new deal for where their television rights will go to. Eddie Hearn says he's got a plethora of options, and it's not guaranteed that it'll stick with Sky Sports. So, do you foresee him remaining? with the platform he's been at for his entire career, or could he move on to a new one? Um, I think Eddie Hearn could do what he wants, can't he? He's, he seems to have the, the muscles to, to, to flex and, and go where he wants. But I think if you're talking about major players in, in the UK, you, you, you sort of think Sky Sports. Really. I know BT Sports are quite a big 
big on the market now, but I think Sky seem to have the monopoly, don't they, over over the British audience anyway? So if you were to move away from Sky, surely you're not going to, you can't really be better Sky. I wouldn't have thought. So uh, I can't see him going towards terrestrial TV as much as I'd love it. I'd love to see boxing on terrestrial television, and but it just doesn't seem to happen anymore. I know the, the Frampton fight was on Channel Five. It's great to see stuff like that, but I'd love to see you know boxing back on maybe ITV. Some of the fights that were on there. I mean, you're a bit younger than me. You probably don't remember the the, the boxing that was on there, the, the, the 90s U-Bank and Ben and things like that. You know, great, great stuff to see on terrestrial telly on a Saturday night. So, uh, so no, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. But like I said, Sky do seem to be the big players, don't they? So uh, it'll be an interesting one, that. And sticking with Eddie Hearn, one of his fighters, Scott Fitzgerald from Preston, is back in the gym. Of course, a lot of people know he recently had a spell in prison, but he's out now and he says he's going to give everything he has left to boxing for the years that remain. Paul, can Scott Fitzgerald get back? He showed so much potential against Anthony Fowler and Ted Cheeseman to be a real star. I mean, that Preston support really got behind him. I mean, I was there that night in the Echo Arena where he beat Fowler and Liverpool sounded like Preston that night. They made so much noise for him, but he's wasting his career. Is this career finally going to turn around now? Can he finally get those big fights or is he going to mess up again? I hope he does because I remember watching the Anthony Fowler fight and I remember you speaking to me about it, telling me about Scott Fitzgerald because I didn't know a lot about him and I know you're um, you're a bit of a Preston lad, aren't you? And you knew about him and and I watched that fight with interest and I thought he did tremendously well against Anthony Fowler and the the Ted Cheeseman fight. We saw Ted Cheeseman in action last week and then what a great fighter he is, you know. He's another one who you'd have on your virtual card, you know, for entertainment. And yet um, Fitzgerald beat him as well and. I don't know a lot about his personal circumstances in his, his time in prison, so I, I won't really comment on that. But you know, at 29 years of age, you now he needs to he needs to settle down and, and get his you know get his nut down in the gym because he's a really really good fighter and he's a potential guy who could be up there um, challenging at world level, you know, in the super welterweight division. So he's got the talent, you know, he's 14 unbeaten. Get yourself back in the gym and, and, and knuckle down now and get to the peak of your career and, and you know really make something of, of yourself. Yeah, we most definitely. Hope that he does. But sticking with the Eddie Hearn theme for the last part, his fight at Devin Haney will be taking on Jorge Linares in May. Many of us are disappointed that he's not going to be getting in the ring with Ryan Garcia. But Linares is still a step up of sorts. Does this really come down to if Jorge Linares is at his best? Um, yeah, I think so. But I think Jorge Linares is one of the, one of those fighters who who always looks at his best for me. I mean, I'm, I'm biased. He's one of my favourite fighters um, and he has been for a long time now. So uh, this is a, this is a big one for uh, for Devin Haney. It really is. It's a big test for him. But uh, yeah, he's a difficult one. Linares will be, be tough to beat. We, we, we've seen him a few times on these shores, haven't we, in the UK and he's always impressed me. And as I said, one of my favourite fighters. Love, love to watch him. But this is, this is a big step up for Haney and uh, if, he can, if he can knock Linares off, he's, it'll be a good one on his, on his card. Yeah, it most definitely will. And in heavyweight news, Joseph Parker and Tyson Fury are in the gym together. Parker's been isolated in New Zealand for such a long period of time. Do you think it'll do him well to have somebody like Tyson Fury guiding and helping him develop? Yeah, definitely. Definitely, I think it will. I mean, we've spoke about um, Joseph Parker a few times, haven't we, on the show and you know, maybe a couple of years ago, we, we were thinking he was going to be the next the next big thing. And for one reason or another, his, his career's sort of hit a bit of a crossroads, hasn't it, really? And he's sort of found 
wouldn't say found his level, but he's not really gone on to the heights we thought he was going to be doing when he, when he was up there in those echelonches of, um, of the heavyweight division. So, I mean, Tyson Fury seems to have got his head on at the moment. Uh, I, I saw a picture of him the other day and he, he looks like he's really slimmed down. I've never, ever seen him in, in condition like that before. And if he can start working with Joseph Parker, I think that can really bring him on. You know, uh, he can learn a lot there off, off Tyson Fury. They can learn a lot of each other. So it might be a nice partnership that forming. Most definitely. And a fight we covered last week was Deontay Wilder versus Dillian White. It's the one we both wanted to see. White's been shouting his mouth off all over social media, but Deontay Wilder stayed quiet. And this has been the theme of Deontay Wilder's career for really the last year. We've not heard anything of him. Do you think there's any chance that Wilder would consider taking this fight, or do you think he'll stay in the dark? It's an interesting one. It seems the... um... The logical fight, really, doesn't it? You know, I've heard a lot of people talking about it. And sometimes you, you, you know, fighters win, and you think, yeah, that's the the next way they'll go, the next path they'll go down. So it does seem the right one for, for me. I mean, I'd like to see Dylan White again up there challenging, the, you know, Anthony Joshua again, and, and maybe Tyson Fury. But obviously, with that that fight with those two, and maybe a, a, a double fight with those two, that ties them up now for the next sort of twelve months, doesn't it? Really, so that. That seems the obvious role for Dylan White to go down, but who knows what what Deontay Wilder wants? He'd have thought he, he, he'd relish that challenge really, because you know if I had to pick between them, I'd probably go with Deontay Wilder in that fight. I think he'd probably just have a bit more, a bit too much for uh, for Dylan White. But uh, but no, it's um, let's hope he gets a, a fight sorted because he deserves it after the Povetkin win. I thought he boxed brilliantly in that in that fight against Alexander Povetkin, and he was a real dangerous fighter, and, and White did a good job on him. Do you think the damage done to Deontay Wilder from a mental perspective is irreversible now? Um, that's a tough question. You'd, you'd like to think he's he's pretty headstrong guy. I mean, he's had some tremendous wins himself. You think of the psychological damage he's done to some of the, the fighters he's fought against when he's put them on the backside. But I don't know. I think I think there's something not right there. As you said, he, he's been very quiet, hasn't he? And, has he got the stomach for it? Does he want to carry on, or is he just keeping a low profile for for another reason? I'm not I'm not too sure. You probably have to ask him that yourself. But it does seem a strange one because a couple of years ago he was, you know, he was a real larger than life character, wasn't he? And shouting his mouth off here, there, and everywhere. But he he does seem to have gone to ground recently. So we'll have to see what happens there. But it, it's a fight I'd like to see definitely. And the last one of the day for you, Paul. Amir Khan's been everywhere, all over Talksport with the BBC, shouting his mouth off, he wants the Kell Brook fight. Is this one that you're still interested in, or has it passed its sell-by date? Who Kell Brook's interested in, or Khan? Khan's uh, interested in the fight. He's been talking on talk sport. He says he wants yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the public the public will be interested in it, James. Definitely. Um, they always are British British fights. I mean, they, they just set the, your appetite going, don't they? Uh, those sort of... You know, rivalries and intercity rivalries and things like that. You've got the Manchester against Sheffield sort of thing. So I think it'd be great. And I, I saw something on the internet the other day where it was being touted about maybe Old Trafford or somewhere like that. I think it'd be a great fight. That I think I really do. But it's one of those. It's got to happen sooner rather than later because it should have happened three or four years ago. But uh, both fighters are getting towards the back end of their career now. So uh, if I was Kel Brook, I'd, I'd want that fight. I, I really would. I think I'd want to uh, to shut Amir Khan up, really, because I think he's been a bit disrespectful to, uh, to Kel Brook over the years. So uh, definitely a fight I'd like to see. And I watched a bit of his... Um, his reality show the other day on the table. <laughs> he used to stick to boxing because I didn't think much of that, to be honest. Was it not quite the Kardashians, Paul? It wasn't. No, it wasn't really my cup of tea, mate, to be honest. 
Fair enough. I'll, sh- I'll be sure to avoid that in future. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's all we've got time for for the boxing today. I'm going to throw it back over to Rob now to talk football. Yeah, James, let's talk football. Let's start with Salford City uh, FC. Uh, Drew 1-1 against Grimsby Town. Um, mixed result. They were all over Grimsby, but just couldn't break them down. Yeah, it's it's just awful, isn't it, Rob? I mean, I suppose we give them some credit for a decent performance, but it's not the result we wanted by any stretch of the imagination. Grimsby is a side we should be beating every single time. They're 24th in the table, for crying out loud. I mean, it's one we have to win. We're trying to get into the playoffs and we're coming out with results like these. It's simply not acceptable. This downward spiral that Salford are just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. We're not getting a victory, are we, anywhere? We got by one. I mean, I'm extremely disappointed with the result. I don't think it was anywhere near good enough. And going into a game this week against Forest Green, who are fifth in the league, I mean, how can we expect to beat a team like that when we can't even beat the 24th best team in the league? I mean, I'll be honest, I think we're the underdogs going into that game. And at one stage, we're in the playoffs and we've just completely dropped off. And it's almost looking impossible that we're going to get back into that stage. I don't know about you, Rob. I'm feeling a bit negative at the moment. I'm hoping that Salford can turn this all around. I want to be optimistic. I really want to be. But they're on a spiral right now and it doesn't look like it's going to change. Yeah, disappointing result. Ibu Torre with a late equaliser for Salford. But like you said, Grimsby are sort of threatened by relegation. And if Salford want to sort of compete and be in the playoff spots towards the back end of the season, they need to be going to, to teams, you know, like Grimsby when they do come down uh, to Salford and, and win. And now they're 11th in the league, five points off Newport are in seventh. Has, has that playoff dream gone, do you think? Near enough, yeah. I mean, it's not impossible, is it, mathematically? But the way we're playing at the moment, you don't see us picking up enough points to get into the playoffs. And I think we'll lose against Forest Green, probably. I mean, the Stevenage game, I mean, I mean, I suppose they're a little bit below us, but there's not much in it. They'll probably in, they'll probably come into this thinking they can beat us. They'll probably be like, oh, Salford, they're on a downward spiral. They're one place above us in the league. It's a great chance for us to rise where we are at the moment, and they'll have everything to win for. Salford need results, and if they don't win either of these two games, I think we can kiss the playoff dream goodbye, I really do. Yeah, uh, they've got Stevenage on Saturday, and then Bolton the following Tuesday. Bolton Derby game, I'm sure the players will be up for that. Yeah, they'll be up for that, and hopefully that's the sort of fixture that can get pulses raising, and it can give us a bit of motivation to get a win, because we definitely need that at the moment, because... It's just disappointing, isn't it? Game after game after game, we're putting up with these poor results and it's simply not good enough. And I mean, I know Salford have been struggling a lot at the moment with the management, but for me, it's not acceptable, the performances they've been putting on on the pitch for me. Let's talk uh, Man City now, Paul. 2-0 win away at Leicester. Uh, Keep rolling on. Yeah, it's not quite mathematically uh, secure yet at the moment, but it was another regulation win at at Leicester City on uh, Saturday evening, wasn't it? And yeah, they just seem to keep rolling on, Rob. We've said that they've been the most consistent team all season in the in the Premiership, and uh, it looks like it's a formality now, uh, the, the Premier League title. Yeah, champions-elect. Um, obviously, Pep Guardiola top, praising his players about you know their performances during the, the pandemic. Um, do you agree with that? Do you think this City team can be considered one of the greats? Yeah, well, I, I think results are going to uh, prove that, aren't they, Rob? They, they take the title is still in all the other competitions as well, aren't they? So uh, we, we keep talking about that that quadruple and and how, how, how difficult that would be to to win that. But you know they've, they've they've nearly nailed one of them in the Premier League. So I think 
you know, you win the treble or, or you know, whisper it the quadruple. I think, yeah, you go down as one of the the best Manchester City teams ever. And they've just gone about the business quietly, Manchester City, this season, really. They've not really been shouting from the rooftops. They've just been consistent. And, and, and I think I've said it a few times, they've just been like a well-oiled machine, the way they've gone about the results. And defence has been solid. And, uh, and yeah, I, I think they've been, they've been head and shoulders the best side in the league. Yeah, Sergio Aguero, uh, Sergio Aguero um, announced he was about to leave Man City at the end of the season. How big of a blow will it be uh, for the Blues that their lead striker is on his way out? Uh, yes, yeah, I'm not sure about it being a blow, Rob. I think yeah, it will be a blow. He, he's been a, a big, a big player for them, but he's probably coming towards the back end of his career now, Sergio Aguero, and he's been been a tremendous player. I'm trying to think how long he's been there now. He's uh, been there a fair number of years, hasn't he? And uh, you know, Manchester City have had the best out of him, so wherever he's going to go, I don't think he's going to produce the, the the form that he's produced at Manchester City. Sometimes, it, you know, a player comes to to the end, doesn't he? And uh, and and that's the end. You've got to move on, and, and someone else comes on the conveyor belt, don't they? But he's a tremendous servant to Manchester City, and his, his goal record will, will speak for itself. So yeah, they'll take some replacing, but I'm sure they'll have uh, they'll have somebody there lined up to uh, to take over from him. Who who will be the replacement? Um, Haaland, Mbappe. Uh, the strikers out there who who, who could fill his boots, uh, Kane. Yeah, well, the two you mentioned there. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a big Manchester United supporter, and he's after the the Harry Kane or, or the Haaland as well. So at Manchester United, so uh, it just shows they might be sniffing around there. And uh, Haaland, his dad played for Manchester City, didn't he? Um, Alfin Garland as well. So uh, I've been impressed with him when I've seen him. He's only young, but do you go for that youngster or do you go for somebody who's proven and? That bit older in, in sort of Harry Kane, he's only sort of 28, 29, isn't he? So he's probably got another three or four years left in him, and he's he's proved a proven goal scorer, isn't he? So um, I don't know. I think they'd be looking at those. You have to pay top dollar. I think for, for Harry Kane or, or Highland, you're going to be looking at probably breaking a transfer record for either of them. So it'd be uh, be mega mega money, but um, he's probably got that money, Manchester City, haven't they? So uh, be uh, be exciting to see who they bring in because I think they'll definitely bring somebody in to replace him. Or is the answer within with Jesus scores goals when when called upon? He could be the answer. He could be. He could be. Yeah, we we forget, don't we? I mean, Sergio Aguero's probably not played that many games over the last you know sort of two years at City. He had injury problems and things like that, and not played that many games this season. Really, we've had Gunga Dinner scored plenty of goals from from sort of midfield, hasn't he, for them? So there's, there's there's other people who step up to the plate sometimes. And we've had young Phil Foden in there. He's done a tremendous job. So, you know, they, 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 there's always people at Manchester City. They've got a fantastic squad there, Pep, to, to choose from. And, you know, it could be somebody from within. But I, I think they'll probably sign somebody else as well. You know, when you're fighting on four fronts, you know, next season as well, you need that big squad, don't you? And, uh, you know, you, you need those big players, don't you, those big signings. Yeah, um, they've got Dortmund in the European Cup and then they've got Leeds in the Premier League at weekend. Two tough games for Man City. No, I think they'll have my Leeds. I think they'll beat them easy. <laughs> I'm <laughs> joking. No, I think, yeah, I think it'll be tough. Dortmund, it'll be tough. Uh, that'll be a really tough game in the, in the Champions League. Leeds United as well have been good this season, haven't they? Um, They've they played some really good stuff. They had a good win at the weekend over Sheffield United and been impressed with them. You know, normally you, you, your team's coming up from the, uh, the Championship. The, the backs against the wall, aren't they? But Leeds have been impressive. They've never really, really sort of flirted with relegation. They've been well away from that, and they've had a really good, solid season, consolidated really in the in the in the Premiership, and, the, and they'll be there again next season. So yeah, I'm expecting a, a really tough game in the Champions League against Dortmund. But I think all Manchester City eyes will be on that. I think they're, they're desperate to to get to the final of the Champions League and uh, you know get their name on that title. 
Yep, let's talk uh, Man United now, James. So, great result for Manchester United, James, this week. Yeah, most definitely was. Brighton, one of the easier teams in the league, but at the end of the day, you've still got to get the job done, haven't you? And it's an especially big result after Manchester City beat Leicester, so we're way ahead in second in the table now, and I feel that's the position that we can close out. Manchester United having a very good season as far as I'm concerned. I never expected them to win the league, but if they can form a good, solid second place, I'll be very happy with that. Uh, European, uh, sorry, the league, Europe, Europa League Cup on Thursday against Granada will be a difficult test for Ole. Uh, I don't know about that, Rob. I think it's a fairly easy draw, isn't it, against Granada? There's much harder teams to come later on in the tournament, and arguably AC Milan in the last round won't. Probably not arguably, but definitely a harder assignment on paper than Granada. It's a shame, really, that fans can't get out to this one because it'd be a great away day for them. But regardless, I think it's one that Manchester United will win fairly simply. And I think the game at the weekend against Tottenham will be the much harder fixture. Is that not the test for Ollie, though? Because obviously a team they're expected to win are usually the teams United slip up, get, slip up against. So Granada in, in the cup, obviously Europe is a, is a target for them. They'll need to be switched on. Yeah, they most definitely will because Granada will be motivated. Manchester United is a huge fixture for them. And there is that banana skin syndrome, isn't there? So you can't take any team lightly. But I think United will come into this one motivated. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer clearly wants to win a big trophy. And after his win in the Champions League in 1999, it'd be only fitting that he won a European Championship as a manager. So I think Manchester United will win this one fairly comfortably with a very methodical and professional approach. Yeah, and then they've got Tottenham on the Sunday. Tottenham will be pushing United for that for a top four spot, and it could be winner takes all if uh, if United win it. Yeah, Tottenham are going to go for it, aren't they? But I think the way Manchester United are playing at the moment, I think we'll see off Tottenham. I think we'll get the win, and I think we'll bag second place overall. And somebody I want to ask you about, Rob, is Zlatan Ibrahimovic, an ex-Manchester United player, of course. He's back out of retirement internationally to play for Sweden in the Euros. Is that fair, Rob, do you think? A player to not be overly involved in the qualifying stage, but just to come back and go straight to the international tournament? Well, Zatlan is is a quality player, James. Uh, he's led the line for various uh, clubs through his career, scored goals along the way, and he's been Sweden's main man since... You know, since he was a baby, really. You know, and, and you think about it, he'll come in and he'll lift that that Swedish team and, and and that's what he's there for he's there to score goals and give everyone uh, that extra boost and it'll give their opportunity in in the Euros to, to test themselves and push themselves and yeah I, I can see it being a good thing uh, I remember I think in 98 uh, when Paul Gascoigne missed out in, in France the World Cup in France did that affect the England players because Paul Gascoigne was the gifted one he, he did have troubles at the time off the field and that's why Glenn Huddle decided not to not to play him Um Paul, but do you think it's a good idea, obviously, you know, bringing these players in uh, that haven't competed in the in the qualifiers? Yeah, well, if he's come out of retirement, he, he's put himself, he's hand up, hasn't he, and put himself available. It's, it's a tough one. It's probably tough on the lads who've done the, the spade work and the, and the qualifiers, but there's no doubt about it. Zlatan Ibrahimovic is a, a massive character, isn't he, and a tremendous footballer. I mean, you've got to look at some of the goals he's scored. He's, he's sort of a one of a kind. Those sort of players don't come along very often, they? like once in a generation sort of players. So if you're Sweden's manager and he comes out of retirement and puts his hand up, you'd probably be a fool if you didn't you know, consider him for, uh, for, for your squad for the Euros, really. I mean, what would your supporters say if you didn't pick him? So it's, it's, it's a difficult one for the manager. 
It is, a, it is an issue, uh, James. And, and talking about uh, resting players and, and bringing players in, um, obviously Easter weekend, we used to talk two games in this in this period. Man United only playing one, but the likes of Salford City are playing two. Uh, do you think that's kind of fair? I don't know. I suppose it's always been that way, isn't it? I mean, the teams in the lower leagues have more fixtures. I mean, the Premier League has 20 teams, and League Two has twenty-four teams, so you've got to make up those fixtures somehow, Rob, haven't you? I suppose it. I suppose it becomes all comes down to money, doesn't it, James? Really, um, and and I suppose these teams like Salford, really, in the rugby, Paul, they usually play two over over the Easter period, but they're not doing now. No, and I've missed that this time, mate. Um, I was trying to wrap my brains the other day. I didn't think the last time I didn't go to a match on Good Friday. I think it was the. The wet wet night at least, the Thursday, wasn't it, in 2008 when we all got absolutely drenched at Hilton Park. So, uh, so yeah, I, I ended up working on Good Friday, actually. So, uh, so no, I, I used to love that, Good Friday, Easter, Monday. So, it's, uh, it's just the way things are at the moment, is it? It might come back again, but, you know, they always talk about player welfare and things like that. But I think, you know, the, for Rugby League as an example, I think later on in the season, we're going to have to play two games in a weekend just to fit the fixtures. And I think there's going to be a couple of weekends like that, possibly in, in May, in May Bank Holiday. So, we'll have to uh, watch this space when the fixtures come out. But, no, it's, uh, it's probably helped Manchester United, really. But like James said, difficult on Salford City there playing two games. Yeah, fantastic, Rob. I've loved every minute of being in your company and Paul's as well. Brilliant. Big thanks for joining us this week's Sports Zone. I'm Rob Parkson. And we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat.